Well, we thought it was going to be another week, but uh, the timetable was early on us. If smoke signals were back a week early, uh, unlike most of the Indians roster right now that seems to be dealing with other random injuries and uh, things that are going on in camp, not good. Uh, you're going to hear from Dr. Brandon Bowers in this episode because we're going to talk about uh, all the injuries the Indians have had. Uh, I'm Justin Laddin, joined by Willie Hood. Will, thanks for joining us. Joining, I know we said it was going to be another week, but... Uh, Unfortunately, with all the injuries, there was enough to talk about uh, to do this again this week. Yeah, uh, kind of surprised to hear the extent uh, of Class A's injury, uh, the way that uh, the tribe talked about it initially, but uh, we'll cover that in a few minutes, I guess. Yeah. Yeah, they were pretty optimistic uh, to begin with, and then it just got worse. Spring training is about two weeks old. Games are about a week or so in. Uh, just some news and notes from camp. Uh, just a couple things I've heard from people who have been down there. Uh, I'd heard that Brad Hand's first outing was about 90 to 91. Nothing to be, you know, concerned about, I guess, when it's your first outing in the spring. But, you know, he did drop velocity late in the year because he had a tired arm and his arm slot was dropping. So, um, you know, if his velocity is an issue and it drops even further, that's certainly uh, a concern. Adam Plutko debuted his new curveball in his first start. Again, it was just one start. But he mentioned um, to reporters down there that he was going for more of a cross-cutting cut, uh, curveball versus a 12-6 to 6 with better spin direction, capitalizing on the high spin rate he had in his curveball. Uh, Framil Reyes is sitting back out of the ball. Looks good. Looks slimmed down. Uh, James Karinchak made his first uh, outing. He struck – or I'm sorry, he has two outings. He's re- uh, retired all six batters he's faced. Uh, it sounds like there's a real good chance he's going to make the team. There were some comments early on that made it seem like he was uh, not necessarily guaranteed a spot in the bullpen, especially now in Class A's injury. He'll probably make it. Um, but it looks like he's pitching well to make the team. So, Will, you got any thoughts on just the, the few storylines we've picked up in the first week of camp? You know, I'm not too concerned with uh, Brad Hand right now. Uh, be watching him the next couple of outings to see if his velocity slowly uh, increases over the last few years uh, with the Padres and then with the Tribe last season. seems like he's kind of uh, trended down on his velocity at the beginning of the year and then picked up through the, through the season. Um, so for him to be at 90-91, it, it's all right right now, but if he continues on, then I'd be concerned that there's more going on with the arm or, or there's decline going on with him, uh, maybe from overuse or from an injury or something that effect um i wished i'd got to see let go start unfortunately i didn't i'm curious about the new curveball uh definitely seen a lot about reyes and very excited about him last time we did a pod i mentioned that i wouldn't be surprised if he hit 40 45 home runs this year so i'm definitely hyped for him i think uh it's it's a bright future with reyes on the team i love the personality Uh, i think the fans are going to love the power over the next few years. And then with Karinchak, uh, Pitching Ninja posted several tweets of his curveball, just uh, taking people's souls, I think is what he put in one of them. But uh, that the curveball looks good and the fastball. Uh, he can be a little erratic at times, but he has lights out stuff when he's on. And uh, hopefully he's one of the, the best eight in the bullpen, especially, especially with Class A's injury. 
uh, I think Grinchak has a good chance of breaking the uh, spring training on the on the big club. Yeah, I think without Farquhar, they definitely need him in the bullpen. And I, I was kind of surprised to begin with there was talk about him not making it out of spring training. I thought maybe his command would have to be really bad if he didn't make it. But because Francona had said the first like couple days that. Uh, live hitters were standing in against him, and he was having a hard time throwing his fastball for strikes. And hitters uh, really didn't want to face him, and that was, you know, his own hit, uh, own teammates, obviously, which makes sense. But those comments just kind of scared me. But uh, well, Ernie Clement said that he was uh, in mid-season form. So, <laughs> well, if anybody would know, it would be uh, Ernie, who was teammates last year. I, I did like that he made Ernie look pretty bad on a curveball on a clip like a week and a half ago. And, you know, Ernie, as everybody, a lot of people know about Ernie Clement is that he had like the, one of the lowest five swinging strike rates last year in minor league baseball. So the guy who makes a ton of contact and Grinchak really made him look bad. Obviously that was the first couple of days, but always interesting when you see that. Yeah. I think he made 59% of batters look bad last year too. So <laughs> He shouldn't feel too bad about that. Yeah, hopefully we see a lot more of that. And I uh, was hoping he would partner with Class A to do that a lot. But unfortunately, he is going to um, be out 8 to 12 weeks. And uh, we'll bring on Dr. Brandon Bowers, Dr. of Physical Therapy, to talk about all this. So the only real news that's come out of camp so far has been the injury bug that's bit the Indians again. And you thought they couldn't get any worse luck than they did a year ago. Um, so unfortunately, at spring training, uh, we'll have to bring on – Dr. Brandon Bowers for the first time. Uh, I'd like to bring him on a little bit later in the season, but we're always happy to have him. Brandon, thanks for joining us. Absolutely. I mean, it's always a bummer when the first time I come on the show is February. I'd like to be able to say we could wait until June or July, but unfortunately we've got a laundry list of guys here dealing with some injuries. Yeah, so where do you want to start? I mean, we're recording this on uh, Thursday the 27th. We just got news on Emmanuel Classe having the – I'm going to try to pronounce this because I'll probably butcher it. Terrace Major, is that right? I mean, you're close. Uh, T- Terry's major is how you pronounce the muscle. It's funny. On one of the other uh, podcasts that I did or, or radio interviews, I'd have a segment on the show where I'd give the host a list of medical terms, and I'd just get to laugh at them, try and pronounce them. So that would go right up there with those, with those lists. Okay, hopefully that wasn't too bad. But uh, you just want to explain to us, I know you're, you're going to write on it at some point, but you just want to explain to us real quick about uh, what Class A is facing as far as shutdown time and recovery and time to return to the mound in, in Cleveland? Sure. So the, the Terry's major is a muscle that's located in the back, kind of near the shoulder blade and the, and the back of the upper arm. And its role is to help to internally rotate the arm. So when a pitcher goes to throw or a baseball player goes to throw, it's the portion where the arm's kind of coming through that follow through that this muscle helps with. When we're dealing with a strain to any muscle, it refers to an overstretch of that muscle. And these can be graded grade one, grade two, and grade three. With a grade one strain, it's just a partial overstretch of the muscle and it's really nothing to bat your eye at. It's not really a big issue. But when we get into these moderate grade two or grade three strains is when we have problems. In the case of class A, it's a grade two strain, which is a partial tearing of the Terry's major muscle, uh, which is a big deal. So the team has put out that they're expecting an eight to 12 week return to play timetable. The average return to play timetable following Terry's major injuries that involve conservative care and rehab is typically around a hundred days. And so if you do the math on that, that's actually 14 weeks. So there's certainly an opportunity that this thing takes longer than what the team initially believes. 
this is, are we facing the is he facing the exact same uh, grade level as Clevenger from a year ago? Yeah, I, I would say if Clevenger's was a grade two and, and moderate, it was probably on the lower end because if you remember, Clevenger actually came back ahead of schedule, and so that, that certainly uh, has me optimistic uh, for uh, for Classe here. But again, all not all injuries, even if it's the same injury, are created equal, uh, and so this could be shorter or longer. It just really really depends how the rehab goes and how he's recovering, how he's feeling, and, and pain is really going to be a big indicator here. But yes, yeah, same injury as what as what Clevenger dealt with last season. And it's just unfortunate that he's dealing with this so early in the season. Uh, is this something that's easily uh, re-aggravated if he does return too early as well? Yeah, with any, with any injury, and this falls into a, a bucket that we call soft tissue injuries or injuries to muscles or soft tissue structures, they're very easily re-aggravated. So if, if we look at the legs, for example, the hamstrings, the, the calves, as we saw Lonnie Chisenhall deal with year after year, and the quads really become p- particularly problematic. So being that this Terry's major is also a soft tissue injury, there is a high recurrence rate if these guys come back too soon. Now, if we look at it this way as well, he's a pitcher that relies heavy on his shoulder and heavy on these muscles in his back. Not only is it a susceptible injury to reoccur because it's a soft tissue injury, it's a structure that's incredibly stressed when a pitcher goes to throw. And so that puts him at even higher risk for this thing to recur if it's not managed properly and he comes back too soon. Okay, and then let's just move on then. We should talked about Clevenger a little bit. So I know you already wrote up uh, an article on his uh, partially torn meniscus in the landing leg. So they said six to eight weeks roughly. Does that kind of fit the timetable for that? And um, what's kind of the the risk here? I know I was reading around some of the things you wrote about the options between a repair or cutting the end of the the meniscus. So what is kind of his um, timeline and, and risk for re-injuring that knee if he comes back too soon? Yeah, so this is the best case scenario here. He did have the, the cleanup of the meniscus, which we call a meniscectomy, where they, exactly like you said, Justin, they just go in and they trim up the damaged portion and they put him into rehab and he's, he's, he's good to go. So six to eight weeks is pretty consistent with what we see following meniscectomies. If we're dealing with a meniscus repair where they go in and they surgically suture the meniscus back together, then there's a period of non-weight bearing and the timetable gets extended out pretty darn far. So for Clevenger, this is, uh, this is the best case scenario in terms of re-injury risk, being that it's all cleaned out and the meniscus is looking good. I'm not too concerned here for re-injury. There's certainly an opportunity that if he lands on his, his landing leg incorrectly and twisted again, that he could re-injure. But if he's just pitching as he normally would without anything that's out of the ordinary, then, then the risk here is low to moderate. And you didn't write this. I, I read this elsewhere, too. I know Dwayne Wade dealt with some um, issues with the knee with, with cartilage and some other issues with his knee. I think he had his meniscus removed. I don't, I don't think Clevenger has any risk of uh, any issues Dwayne Wade would have faced with uh, the meniscus injuries he had. Or I, th- I think he had it removed. Is that right? It is, and, and when they're talking about the, remo- the removal of the meniscus, oftentimes it's not a removal of the whole thing. So, in essence, what Clevenger had done was a quote-unquote meniscus removal, and it was just a small piece of that meniscus that was removed. When we get in a situation like Dwayne Wade or somebody who has these chronic knee issues and chronic meniscus issue- issues, sometimes they'll actually do a meniscus transplant where they will take the meniscus from a cadaver, for example, and then put that in the injured knee for, for the injured individual. So, um, Clevenger, by, book, by the book definition, also had a meniscus removal, but it's nothing to be too concerned about. That was probably a, a rare case. I did read that, and I was just kind of curious if there were 
with any crossover there. Sure. Um, I don't know if you have any uh, insight or anything you at least want to bring or mention about these. Uh, these are a bunch of random injuries and some other stuff that's popped up. We haven't seen Aaron Savali pitch yet. He's got a pulled groin, obviously, without knowing a whole lot more details. Um, if you if you have to go in anything on that or, or if that's anything to worry about, you think? Yeah, I mean, with with a groin in a pitcher and somebody's going to plant off their plant leg and then follow through with their stride leg, the, the groin is going to be placed on stretch in both of those situations. So regardless of which leg it is, this could be uh, a long-term issue. Fortunately, it's early in spring training, and they should be able to shut him down and just allow him to get right before bringing him back out there. As long as they don't move things along too quickly, I think he should be good to go without any long-term issue here as we look to 2020. Uh, Naquin's recovering fast in the ACL. He had the surgery in September. It seems like things are going pretty well. What's the target schedule for him? Yeah, so early. Yeah, so when we're looking at these ACLs, uh, on the short end of things, it's typically a seven to nine month return to play timetable. And so if we look at when he had the surgery in September, we're five months out right now. So he's still probably another couple months away. So, I mean, we're looking at April at the absolute earliest, and that would put us at the seven month mark. Realistically, if we look at this thing and what I like to do clinically and what's best for the patient and what research shows is optimal is nine to 12 months return to play timetable. So the seven to nine is traditionally what we see, but in order to reduce risk of re-injury for the patient, typically I like to wait, and docs in the area like to wait till that 9- to 12-month mark. So I'd say the earliest we see him is April, and then after that it really is just going to depend on how he clears those return-to-sport testing. The last thing I wanted to ask you was about Roberto Perez's ankle injury. He had the surgery uh, after the season. Um, he still hasn't played in a spring training game yet, and I think you had wrote that, that – um, there's really no concern. He should be good to go um, to start the season, but they're kind of slow playing him a little bit. Do you think there's any possibility of the injury just lingering, or do they just? Do you think they're just being careful? Um, and what's the kind of the risk of that surgery at the timetable he's at right now? Yeah, I mean, I think the Indians are just being cautious. When they go, he had bone spurs removed from his towel curl joint, which is your ankle joint. And we think about a catcher who's got to get down in a squatting position. It really does stress this joint. So unless anything has occurred that's out of the ordinary or not according to plan, then I think this is just the Indians being cautious, just understanding that he's their, he's their number one catcher and there's a long season ahead and they don't want to subject him to too much of a workload too soon. So there's nothing that jumps out at me as a red flag right now. But if we get deeper into spring training, towards the end of spring training, he still hasn't played, then my concern level might heighten. But right now I'm not too worried. I think everything he said is pretty well out there and uh, pretty well covered everything that uh, – has been put out there that uh, he's put on the IBI and then also some of the other writers put out there as well. Um, my, I think my one concern with Clev is kind of that violent delivery um, where he falls off the first base side pretty hard. And I, I wonder if he could re-injure that knee uh, from that. But really it seems like these meniscus injuries are pretty common in sports altogether. And, uh, he seems like he's a pretty athletic guy, too, just based on his previous background and, and his ability to, to bounce back quickly from uh, the injuries from last year. But uh, not really uh, as far as any questions or any thoughts about the injuries. I think Brandon pretty well covered everything. Uh, I didn't bring up the – I think Carrasco had that one. 
Yeah, it was a, it was a hip flexor. It's on his trail leg. And again, that falls into the, the soft tissue injury bucket. It's an overstretch of that muscle. It was grade one in nature. So it's, it's pretty mild. Typical return to play timetable for these is about two to four weeks. So uh, they'll rest them now and make sure they're not pushing anything too hard. But in terms of long-term problems, this should be another issue. Since it's early enough in spring training, it shouldn't cause too much long-term concern here for the Indians or for Tribe fans alike. Brand, as an Indians fan, how concerned are you that all these things are, are popping up? Uh, and- yeah, I mean, it is pretty early in the season, and, like, it's being a medical professional, I never, I never want to question other medical professionals or, or point fingers. But I've heard fans and seen fans on Twitter point to this track record that the Indians are always getting injured the past few seasons. And so it'd be interesting to see what happens the rest of this year. It is early in the year, and hopefully, it's just early. We get them out of the way, and then we don't have to deal with them the rest of 2020. But there is a long list here to start the year, and hopefully, they can get right come uh, opening day. And uh, hopefully, they're all out there on the field for the tribe. Yeah, well, as we saw last year, there's uh, no point in the year you can really avoid these things. It just seemed to be one after the other last year. But, yeah, hopefully the long list is now and not sometime in June. Uh, Brandon, thanks for joining us. You can follow uh, Dr. Brandon Bowers on Twitter at Dr. Brandon Bowers. Anything else you want to add, Brandon? That's it, guys. As you mentioned, uh, I've almost got that piece on uh, Class A done. I just got to add uh, another sentence or two, then I'll have that over in your inbox. So that'll be ready to post tonight or tomorrow. I'll go into a little bit more detail about the injury, the muscle, and what we're looking at for him. But uh, I think you guys got it covered, and I appreciate you having me on. Hey, no, thanks for your time, and uh, have a safe flight back. Thanks, guys. We'll talk to you soon. All right, so that was a long list of injuries uh, to go through with Brandon. And, and the first thing that jumped out to me, obviously, with how long Class A is going to miss is uh, the effect on the bullpen. You know, we know the team can only carry 13 pitchers on the 26-man roster, and we know because of Terry Francona, that's going to be eight relievers, obviously. So your guaranteed positions are, what, Brad Hand, Nick Wittred, Oliver Perez, Probably Adam Simber, maybe now we're looking at James Kernshack and uh, down the list is, is Hunter Wood, who I don't think has pitched yet, to my knowledge. Uh, Phil Maton, who I did see pitch. James Hoyt pitched today, Thursday. Cam Hills made a few outings. Uh, Dominic Leone, and then, Will, you mentioned uh, Jared Robinson on Twitter. I, I really do wonder how these last uh, two bullpen spots are going to shape up between, I guess, six, seven, and eight, actually, how those last three are going to shape up. Yeah, it's it looks like there's a good solid five right now. And I don't know about Wood. I haven't seen that he's pitched yet either. Um, don't know if he's just getting a slow start, if there was an injury, uh, what, what was going on. I haven't picked up anything on him. Um, but I think it's going to be a, a battle for a couple of positions there. I mean, you got Phil Maton and then James Hoyt, Cam Hill, Dominic Leone, and then Jared Robinson, and, and then maybe some other guys like Scott Moss or uh, – Sam Hinches or somebody uh, develops or uh, maybe a, a Jeffrey Rodriguez kind of get put into the bullpen at some point to help bolster the pen. Uh, but, you know, that may be jumping the gun. Um, but we shall see what happens in spring training. You know, I, I've been thinking the first part of March, the tribe's probably going to be facing some cold weather, have a few rain outs or snow outs more than likely. Uh, so maybe they won't have to rely on some of these younger arms or a couple of guys that are going to end up carrying uh, at the beginning of the season. And uh, hopefully that that's offset by uh, the depth and then Clev getting back 
hopefully early in the season. Um, but I'm curious to see how this all plays out. I, I really like Cam Hill and Jared Robinson, um, two of the younger guys that pitched in AAA Columbus last year. Hill's got a mid-upper 90s fastball and a, a above-average curveball, and then Robinson comes in mid-upper 90s as well, and I believe he's got a slider that looks pretty good. Who are, you, who are your favorite? I mean, I, I'm obviously not looking at camp because, you know, numbers in spring training are pointless to look at. But just <laughs> off of what we know about guys, um, and it's still super early, but obviously what we know about guys who, if we think the five, first five spots in the bullpen are established, at least, at, you know, out of the gate for opening day, who do, you, who do you actually like for the last three spots then? I think Hunter Wood will be in there. Uh, it depends on – where he's at health-wise, don't know what exactly is going on with him, but assuming he's ready for opening day, I think he has a spot. He's out of options. Um, they're not going to get rid of him. They're going to run him out there and see what he has for an extended period, I think. Uh, they picked up uh, Phil Maton from the Padres late last year, and I think they'll bring him up and give him an option too. Um, he's an interesting guy. I know you did a piece on him recently, um, but – High spin pitcher. He used to sit uh, low mid 90s, more 90, 92 when I've seen him pitch. Uh, but I know at one point he, he peaked and was touching 95. Um, anything you want to say about him? I did hear, and I forget who did the interview with him. Um, it might have been Jim Rosenhaus or it might have been one of the writers. I can't remember. But I know he was talking about how he was trying to make some mechanical adjustments and kind of regain some of the velocity he had lost. He had seen some things kind of fall out of whack with his mechanics that have cost him some miles per hour. Um, so like you said, that makes sense. You know, he used to be throwing, he used to throw a little bit harder. Um, so if he gets, you know, a couple miles an hour back, I, I do like, you know, some of the tools he had. He appeared on a couple of prospect lists, you know, not necessarily high, but got to mention, you know, across fan graphs, other places, evaluating them. So I do kind of like, uh, the ability to spin the baseball and, and what he might be able to do. I mean, it's worth taking a chance because, you know, the guy's already on the roster. I don't know. I think he's out of options. I'm not 100% sure. I think you maybe said he had one. Uh, Pretty sure he has one and Hoyt has one left as well. Yeah, and Hoyt's – I guess it doesn't really matter because Hoyt's on a 40, but he's on a split contract. I, I guess that, that's just the term for, you know, you make one – set of money in the majors and you make another salary amount when you're the minors, which I guess is already common anyway, but I I'm with you. I kind of like uh, wood to make the bullpen uh, just cause he's out of options. But like you said, you haven't seen him pitch, which I thought was kind of odd, uh, but it is early. I like Maton, but I also like Hoy. I think, I think they actually do like James Hoyt quite a bit. So I think one of those three, two of those three are going to make it at least. Um, it depends on who they can add to the 40, because obviously Cam Hill's not in the 40. Uh, neither is Dominic Leon or Jared Robinson. I wouldn't be surprised if, depending on how Leon looks through the rest of the camp, he didn't have a really good day. I think he pitched today. Uh, he didn't have a real good day uh, Thursday against the Dodgers. But, you know, that may not necessarily mean anything. But it wouldn't shock me, because, you know, the Indians have been known to take a few guys off of non-roster invites and, and add them to the 40 man just to, see what they can give them early in the year and preserve a little bit of depth. And, you know, sometimes they've worked out. I mean, there's been, uh, who am I thinking of? Well, Scott Atchison for one, uh, who else has been on that list? I'm drawing a blank on the name, obviously pitched in 2016 on the world series team. 
uh, Otero was a guy they well he was an offseason guy but he he was acquired um, for cash from the Phillies you know um, yeah, James Manship is who I was thinking of Jeff Manship but he was he was an option at one point so I, I mean that's the, just the kind of guy I can see making the roster if things go well because they've they've found those guys before but I would I would personally love to see them take a chance on on Cam Hill or Jared Robinson. I think I think Robinson's got some things to refine, but I think Cam Hill is about as major league ready as it gets. So I'd like to see him get a shot, but um, it just depends on the structure of the roster, I think, and who's who's hurting, who's healthy, and who what spots they have on the forty. I, I think that's the big thing is who has options, who can go up and down. Um, I'm sure we'll be seeing a few of these guys riding the uh, Columbus shuttle. And my guess is probably Matan and Hoyt will be those. I, I, it seems like they really like Hoyt. They, they released him and then turned around and re-signed him the next day uh, when it was down to roster cuts for the 40-man roster earlier in the offseason. And um, he has a, a pretty good track record with the Astros a, a few years ago when I think he appeared in about 50 games and had an ERA around 350. So I, I think, you know, he's a more mature pitcher. I believe he's around 32. Uh, hasn't really had a whole lot of opportunities. He battled injury last year. Uh, looking at his numbers, and, and just off on the top of my head, I believe he had like a, a 4.5 walk per nine, though. That would be one concern for me. But uh, if you're bringing in Hoyt, you're probably bringing in mop-up role or um, maybe a game is a blowout. Uh, uh, and they bring him in just to log some innings. So it, as I said, hopefully uh, with the weather in the early part of the season, some of the arms get healthy like Clev, and we kind of uh, ride through this. And uh, if if that doesn't happen, maybe some of these young guys get to emerge. Uh, I did see Cam Hill pitch today against the Dodgers. He pitched an inning. Uh, his fastball was up. Uh, curveball looked good. He dropped that in there in the strike zone several times. And when he needed to get an out today, he threw that curveball in there and, and recorded the out. So uh, Jared Robinson, I think he's pitched two innings, got four strikeouts, and I believe he's walked one batter in two innings. So I think the thing with these two guys is, is command and control for the both of them. Of course, Hill's coming off of uh, Tommy John in, in uh, 2018. So he's not even two years out from that injury. And that's when your command and your control really start to come back. But he was impressive in, in Columbus last year. And uh, I'm kind of surprised that either of the two of these arms didn't get picked up in the roll five, to be honest with you. Yeah, I would totally agree with that. I, I thought for sure Cam Hill was going to be a guy they lost. And then Jared Robinson was, was right behind that, of course, with Kai Tom. Uh, but, yeah, none of them got taken surprisingly just a real big bummer because I thought that having hand and class a and Karinchak at the end of games and, you know, Whitgren who was good in that role last year too, would, um, you know, really kind of shoulder some things early on while, you know, Clevenger got healthy and uh, now with Carrasco too, maybe being slow played and Savali, I thought if they had any rotational issues early and they needed to get some things ironed out with some of the younger guys, that the bullpen had a lot of potential to be leaned upon, and, you know, that just further eliminates their margin for error, which is not great, especially with how long Class A is going to be out. And it was funny because you, you did bring this up that 
the first thing they had said was if it was the, like with class A's injury, they said, well, it's something in a, a lat. They said a strain lat, and they said not a big deal. If, if it was the regular season, he'd be pitching. Uh, and obviously he went through a throwing program the next day, and he thought he was fine, and he felt it, which is kind of bizarre, but I also kind of liken it to, you know, your car. Like, you know, you put oil in it, and the oil light goes off. But then a couple of days later, you know, you drive it again, and the engine light goes off, and you take it to a mechanic, and the mechanic says, yeah, you're – you know, you're something's wrong with your engine. You know, I guess that's the only way I can think about it is things do change, especially when you talk to a medical professional. But it was just weird how it went from, you know, a lat injury that wasn't a big deal. And, you know, now he's had eight to 12 weeks. And that was the same thing with Clevenger. Clevenger thought he'd be, Clevenger didn't think he was going to miss a start last year. And then it turns out he was going to miss, you know, six weeks the day later, which is would happen very fast. That's must just be the nature of this injury, I guess. Yeah, and I think they're probably being conservative with them. They don't want them to re-injure this, uh, as Brandon talked about earlier. Uh, I think that's a key, especially with Class A. Uh, he's got a pretty long delivery. He reaches back pretty far, um, and that's where he really gets his velocity. He moves through his delivery pretty quick. Um, so I, I would try to protect him and uh, continue to try to preserve that arm as long as I could, get him in there and get him healthy when you really need him. Instead of the uh, cold months up in Cleveland, you want him in the summertime and you want him healthy too. And, and you got to think long-term with him. He's 21 years old and they control him for the next six years. So if they can uh, get him healthy now and hopefully keep him on track and be proactive with that, uh, Class A could be a really exciting back-end arm for the Indians. Yeah, I just want to point this out too because I saw this going across Twitter today that people were upset that the uh, about the you know the Kluber trade getting Class A and Lionel to Shield and now Class A third for Kluber and I'm like the injury doesn't really change the nature of the the trade like what if Kluber had gotten hurt would you say the Indians ripped him off you know maybe but that's not how it works I mean just because it's one injury it's not like he's having Tommy John or um, you know having major shoulder surgery I mean this is a pretty for as long as you know, for as long as he's going to be out, it's not really a, a major injury, I guess. But you know, you can't you can't predict an injury. I mean, all pitchers get hurt, but you can't you know predict an injury when you make a trade for anybody. I mean, I know people are you know still upset about the Kluber trade, and, and maybe rightfully so because that was how the team decided to cut payroll and that, and get something back instead of just you know eliminating it for nothing. Um, but I just. I hate that notion that people think the trade is somehow worse because he experienced a fluke injury in spring training. And, you know, like you said, he's 21 and has a long career ahead of him. And, and other things could happen, obviously. But this one minor injury doesn't tra- change things. Because A, you can't predict it. And B, you know, he can come back and be just fine because we saw Clevenger come back and be just fine last year. Yeah, Clev came out throwing flames. I mean, he was 95, 97, 98. After that, you know, I, I think if anything, they'll just be more proactive with him and, and uh, they will try to keep him healthy. He's a 21 year old. I'd rather bet on a 21 year old arm than uh, an arm in the early mid 30s, you know. So I would absolutely agree. Uh, and moving on to the outfield competition, I think we touched on this a little bit last time uh, and nothing's really developed since. But I think, as we know, Mercado, Fernando Reyes, Jordan Lupo, Delano DeShields, and Domingo Santana 
um, are all pretty much guaranteed to be on the roster. Obviously, an injury could happen, but I, I'm pretty sure those are going to be five guys you're going to see on the or five guys you're going to see on the roster. So, what I'm really interested in here is who makes that last spot. Are they going to carry Greg Allen? Are they going to carry Jake Bowers? Are they going to carry Bradley Zimmer? Um, and how that plays in with the infield because it seems like they are making the uh, utility spot kind of an open competition. I thought for sure that Christian Arroyo was, was going to be handed that job because he's out of options. But I don't know. Some of Terry Francona's comments made it seem like Mike Freeman is very much in play for that job, and so is Yu Chang. And he even mentioned that, uh, that – I almost said Tyler Freeman. I think I might have said that before, but – Mike Freeman is going to get some time in the outfield. So I don't know. Do, who do you see as the best fit for the extra player? Because if we assume they're going to carry 13 pitchers um, and they're going to carry at least five outfielders, do you go with a sixth outfielder and someone like Allen or Bowers or Zimmer to platoon with Luplo? Um, or, you know, Frank Conner did say Luplo was going to get more time against righties. Um, you know, and, and how does the extra – player affect that especially with the infield especially if Freeman's going to get tired in the outfield yeah I think the outfield and the infield are kind of tied together there um, let's say um, Bowers makes the club out of spring training then you have somebody who can go to first base and play left field uh, I think that alleviates the infield a little bit uh, if Santana needs a day off or gets injured or something like that there's your there's your first baseman um, Freeman playing the outfield is interesting. I'm not sure if he has experience out there. I know Christian Arroyo has a little bit of experience when he, with, when he was with the Giants. They tried him out in the outfield a little bit, um, shortstop, second base, third base. So he's got some utility experience already, just uh, I think largely at third base for Arroyo, though. Um, he's really filled out his frame over, over the years and, and gotten a little bit bigger than he was when he was initially drafted. Um, former top 100s prospect there, and I can see why the Indians would want to bring him in. I, I was thinking he's almost a shoe-in to make the club, and it might not be the case. I get the sense that uh, Tito may want his man, and, and it may come at the expense of Christian Arroyo uh, come the end of the spring training. Yeah, that's kind of a surprise to me. And now, I mean, like you said, I, I do think for some reason Francona likes Mike Freeman, maybe that's because he reminds him of, of himself, you know, not necessarily hurt, but because, you know, Frank Cohen had a lot of injuries in, in his career, but he ended up being a utility infielder um, and moved around a lot. And maybe that's why he likes those guys and likes Mike Freeman. I don't know, but uh, I, I do get the feeling that Mike Freeman's going to have a really good shot at making the roster, even though he's not in the 40. And I do think that Jake Bowers makes a ton of sense just so you have someone to play back at, at first base even though Carl Santana likes to play every day, but you're right. There's nobody who can really fill in if he doesn't need a day off um, or something happens. And then he's, I think, he that uh, I think they need that too. I think they need that left hand bat to, to, to pinch it and, and bring it in, um, put him out in the outfield, maybe platoon with a loop load. It, it really depends on what they do with Reyes and, and Domingo Santana. Uh, the today on the broadcast, I don't know if you watched the, today's spring training game or not, but they talked about Santana playing left and right field, and Santana made 11 errors in left field and only made one in right field. And, you know, uh, I, I think he earned the reputation of being a butcher in the outfield largely because of his play 
last year, but also seasons before. Um, but he made a couple of in, impressive catches today. One, he ran and, and caught the ball on a line drive that was uh, toward the line, and, and he got there and then threw it to the cutoff man at second. He looked pretty good. I was like, wow, is this the Domingo Santana I thought I knew? <laughs> I did see that. I was very surprised to see how good he looked in right field. So, and he, yeah, he did say that he thought he was very new to left field last year. So that was maybe to cause some issues, but yeah, he was not good before, but I, in theory, I think left field easier to play in Cleveland just because of the wall. Once you learn how to play it, which I think we mentioned this before, I think Michael Brantley was so good at it, but you know, he had had some time to learn it and that might be a, a bit of a learning curve with that. But I think once you figure out the wall, it makes it easier to play left field. So we'll see what happens there, but. All, all reports so far indicate that Reyes has been good in the outfield, and I think either way you're going to see one of those guys in right field and the other guy DHing. So I don't think you necessarily have to put either of them in left field. I think Luke Rowe can man left field just fine. Um, and, you know, Bowers played in left field last year too. And, you know, obviously we'll see what kind of role Naquin plays too because it really sounds like he's moving fast. And if he's back at the end of April or early May, then I would think the Indians will get him back on the roster because – he was having a fairly decent year last year and they seem to like him. So I think whenever Naquin's ready, I don't think it really matters who, you know, unless Jake Bowers is just a completely new player or has, has, you know, regained some of that um, hype that made him a top hundred prospect a year ago or two years ago. I think Naquin is going to force him off the roster or somebody when he comes back. So that might throw a wrench into things whenever he's ready as well. Yeah, I agree. I think, uh, Domingo Santana probably ends up at DH most of the time with a little bit of a timeout in the outfield just to keep him happy. Uh, he seems to enjoy playing the outfield. And Reyes, it, it was just my impression watching him late in the season, but I felt like he was disconnected during that bats um, while he was DHing. But when he played in the in the outfield uh, against the Nationals in that last series of the season, he seemed really in tune. The bat was alive. Um, he was hitting for power, doing everything that the Indians had hoped that they were getting when they acquired him. And uh, I don't know if it's a mental thing. It, it could be nothing at all. It could be me just assuming that, you know, but he looked impressive in those games. He was in the outfield. And I'm hoping with the uh, weight that he's lost that he comes in more athletic. Uh, I believe he's got a strong arm out and right. And we know he's got power. So he's got power all day. I think you do make a good point. I don't think it's just, you know, assuming anything, but I remember when Carlos Santana was mostly DHing for the Indians. I think it was, they had Lonnie Chisnall at third and uh, Nick Swisher was playing a lot of first base. And I do remember uh, when Santana decided to go and learn third base or at least try so he can get in the lineup and help the team. Uh, you know, he just said he didn't like DHing. And, and I think his morale improved as he, uh, got back in the field and, and, you know, found a home at first base, obviously, but he turned himself into a good field. He wasn't a great field before, but he turned himself into a good one eventually. And I think that's kind of carried over to his um, hitting. Obviously he was always a good hitter, but I think that's helped him. Like you said, he seems more engaged at bat to at bat. And I, I think I do remember Santana making those comments about how he did not like DH and for that reason. So I think your point with Santana and Reyes for that matter probably makes a lot of sense. So, I don't know if you'll see an you know, 81-81 split, but I think there's a good chance you'll see each guy play you know, close to 60 games in right field and you know, the other remaining portion probably DH, and then they'll 
kind of work guys around, obviously, but that does make a lot of sense. I think people don't realize that, you know, your people always get on, you're a designated hitter, you're supposed to hit, but, you know, you're kind of out of the game for, until your next at bat, you're just sitting there, you're cold, and, you know, it's it's a thing to learn. It's just like learning to be a bench player, you know, you, you have to be ready to play every day, and, you know, when you're DH, you have to be in the game every, as much as you can, and I know Travis Hafner used to love to go down and swing in the cages between the bats with other players have done that in the past. Albert Bell did that years ago too if he was DHing. Uh, and sometimes when he wasn't DHing, but if he wasn't up that inning. But you know, Albert Bell's a different guy. But um, so I, I think that point makes a lot of sense. And I I'm sure the Indians know that from their experience with Carl Santana as well. Yeah, and I tend to think of DH as, as a day off or, or an older vet who's prepared to to sit on the bench and, and kind of coach some of the younger guys along between the rep bats. It keep, that keeps them engaged that way. Um, but when the player's out on the field, or, or not out on the field, rather, uh, I think you have that, that opportunity to kind of lose track and, and your mind starts to wander, uh, or mine would anyways. And, and I think as Carlos Santana does, did uh, say in the past that he didn't like playing DH for those reasons. I, I think, especially with younger players that enjoy playing in the field, they want to be out there. They're competitive guys. And, and if they want to be out there, then let's give them an opportunity and see what they have, especially with Reyes. I, I think there's a lot of talent there. And I think uh, he's really going to break out for the tribe this year. Absolutely agree. Uh, speaking of Alferos, I wanted to bring this up before we finished today with the uh, Wednesday, I think it was. Mitch Longo uh, got into the game for the Indians, uh, Mayfield High School graduate, and got in that bat against Cade McClure, who went to Mentor High School. Those two play each other in, in high school as well, and uh, McClure's on the White Sox. So I thought that was pretty cool to see two Northeast Ohio kids uh, who played against each other in high school up here uh, square off against each other in a spring training game. That was pretty fun, I think. I don't know if he got a hit or not. I didn't really remember. I know Longo tripled on Thursday against the Dodgers, but I can't remember what he did against uh, Cade McClure, but that was uh, pretty cool to see. Yeah, uh, cool to see uh, McClure, who's from my hometown, um, get an opportunity for the White Sox in camp, and uh, I'm always rooting for the Northeast Ohio guys. So Longo with two nice hits today, by the way, against the Dodgers. Uh, I, I didn't get to see them face off, uh, but I'm always cheering for the Northeast Ohio guys, except for when they're playing the tribe. Yeah, like uh, Thursday, Luke, well, I think Luke Rayleigh is not from Northeast Ohio. He was uh, on the Dodgers Thursday, and he was part of the Kenta Maeda swap with yeah. the Twins. And uh, he went to Lake Erie College. I forget where his hometown is. I don't think his hometown is Northeast Ohio, but I know he went to Lake Erie College, so. Uh, that probably, qual- oh, of course, that qualifies and uh, is not playing or playing against the Indians. So, wouldn't be rooting from today, but uh, hope he does well. I also wanted to bring up, too, um, I mentioned this on Twitter. Keith Law had shortstop Jose Tena, number six in his top 20. We wrote top 50 in our script. <laughs> top 50, uh, top 20. We had him at 46 in our top 50. And obviously, I mentioned that, you know, none of us at IBI had, have seen. Jose Tena in person, and uh, he doesn't have a whole lot of experience stateside. So thought that was interesting, and, and just going, and this is new. I mean, there's a lot of places that have not put out their um, Indians top 30 or top 20, whatever they're going to do. 
Um, but I, I have a really high ranking for Jose Tena. I know Baseball America didn't have him in their top 30. If they did, it was towards the back half. And uh, I don't think BP had him in their top 10. So that was really interesting to see. And he had some good notes on him, but uh, I did not foresee him being above a lot of other guys in that list that we had in there. And Valero was down significantly from where I think pretty well consensus is on Valera is top two or three, and he was outside the top 10. Uh, I was a little surprised by that. Uh, absolutely surprised with Tenna being there. It's not that I don't like him. I, I do. I think he has a solid uh, utility, maybe second base profile. I've seen very little of him, only video. And when he was in camp with the tribe last year, I know he appeared in a game uh, and was one of the youngest uh, minor league players to appear in a spring training game a major league spring training game. Uh, so that's a, a pretty good shout out from the tribe to him, uh, acknowledging the talent and that they like him uh, and a good way to encourage a lot of these uh, other young players that are striving to make the big leagues, give them a little bit of a, a taste in spring training. Um, it kind of, to me, it, it shows how they value him. And, um, you know, as I said, none of us have really seen him, um, I haven't really seen him. I know Jason Panini had a write-up on him over on Prospects Lives. Uh, I checked there, Baseball America, MLB.com, Fangraphs. I'm all over the place checking the various sites, uh, looking for information, looking at video myself, and I don't see him there. Personally, I've, I've been running a top 40 Indians prospects on Twitter, and I have him outside of the top 40. He's one of the ones I would say gets honorable mention. He could be in there in a lot of other organizations, but I mean, to me, he's a back of the 30 type talent right now. Um, wasn't a major signing. Um, you, when you have one person saying that, that he's this talented, I question uh, maybe he's just doubling down on him and he really likes him. I, I personally, I really like Angel Martinez. I've got him ranked pretty high, uh, higher than probably anyone I've seen. Um, but Tenna, I don't see being the number six prospect in the organization at this time. Yeah, so, I mean, I could see if you want to make a case for him. And, and again, Keith Law is, has been doing this for a long time. He knows what he's talking about. I'm not necessarily questioning his rankings. Um, but like you said, he stands out compared – the ranking of that stands out compared to where everybody else is on the industry. And that happens sometimes as well. But I just thought that was really high. Like everybody else is talking, like you said, back 30 – back 20 uh i think fan graphs last year had him in their bottom 20 30 something uh, i like him i mean i think the bat speed's really good and he gives a chance to hit i don't know if he has the arm for shortstop like you said but i just it's hard i guess it's hard for me i mean i don't know if keith law i doubt keith law has seen him in person uh maybe he has but i, I would doubt it because i don't think he gets to arizona that much and i don't even know if he was in arizona most of last year i thought maybe he was in dominican but uh, I think just for me personally, and, and, you know, you can kind of go into your evaluation and how you kind of make those decisions. But for me, it's so hard for me to just, you know, look at a couple of videos and put a guy really highly, unless I know more about him. And, and I, we, you know, we also do consider other publications and just kind of see where everybody is on. I mean, not, not that we're copying anybody, but, you know, just to, to get a feel for him on the industry because we don't 
see guys in Arizona or the Dominican and we don't talk to the scouts that are around those complexes. So it's a lot harder for us to get a feel for players who haven't played in Northeast Ohio and don't have a lot of video on them because, you know, Tennant doesn't have a lot of public video on him. But for me, I tend to devalue, not devalue, I guess devalue is the wrong word, but I tend to fade those guys towards the back of prospect list just because I don't have enough information on them. There's not enough video on someone like Tenna for me to be able to pound the table to get him into the top 10, top 20. And I just, even from what I saw, I just thought the Indian system was so much stronger that it was kind of hard to put him any higher than that. But that's just, that's for my personal evaluation that it's hard for me for someone that little experience and little video to have him rank that aggressively. Yeah. And, and that's the, that's the guys that I go searching on and I go and see how does everybody else feel about him? This is where I look at him and, and what I'm thinking of him. And then I start comparing, okay, they have him here. They have him here and, and I have him here. You know, and I feel like he's probably back 30 or wherever the place may be. But with, with Tenna, I had him outside the top 40. And that's not a, again, it's not a shot at him or what I think he will actually become. I just think the Indian system is really deep right now. Uh, I think the tribe will be benefactors of that in the next few years. Yeah, hard to disagree. I, I'm, we're on the same page with, you know, looking at where he is and, um, you know, things that could change, obviously. We are down to the top 20s. I think we're going to be at 27 as of Thursday. So if you're listening to this on Thursday, uh, I think, yeah, 27, Scott Moss was today's uh, top prospect for our, on our top 50 countdown. We're moving along there. If you haven't been checking out the uh, 40-man roster preview, I've been doing one each day. Um, if you're listening today on Friday, I keep saying Thursday. It's Friday. I should be happy it's Friday. I should not want to repeat Thursday. Friday is going to be uh, Hunter Wood, uh, you know, a guy who hasn't pitched yet. So that's going to be Friday's top 40. Uh, MLB right up. So continue to read the top prospect countdown. If you're a subscriber, we'll still have more for free coming out. Um, I believe our number 25 prospect is unlocked for everybody to read. I know number 20 will be free for everyone to read. And I think as we get into the top 15 and top 20, there will still be a few in there. I think we haven't decided on those yet, but some will be free to read. And then obviously if you're a subscriber, continue to enjoy those. The uh, top 40 uh, Indians previews are all free. Uh, just a quick update for anybody who has been wondering about the future of IBI since last recording or since we put the announcement out two weeks ago. Uh, we don't have an official update yet. Um, full transparency, we have discussed what using Patreon might look like. If you're not familiar with Patreon, it's a, a tiered level content paywall where the creators set a uh, monthly payment option and, and it explains to you what you get with your monthly payment. Uh, it really varies on the site, the kind of content they're gonna put out and, and to set the prices. So we're trying to see if that's an option. Uh, if you have any experience with Patreon, if you have any feedback on it, if you like it, if you don't like it, um, what you'd be looking for if you were to join us, if we decided to go on Patreon, uh, let me know on Twitter at JL underscore baseball. Um, be happy to hear your feedback on any of that um, as we look into that as an option. So we are doing everything we can to keep IBI going, um, you know, beyond March 31st. Um, before we head out, Will, is there anything else you want to add? 
not at this time. I look forward to getting uh, in some of these pieces written and uh, some of them polished up a little bit more as they start coming out. Uh, getting excited to see some of these uh, top 15, top 10 guys, some of my favorites in there. Uh, Valera, Espinino, Hankins, of course, Nolan Jones, Tyler Freeman. Uh, curious what you got to say about them. And, and uh, I've done some deep diving on a few of these pieces too, as you know. Uh, I spend a lot of hours doing a little bit of research on, on these guys. So I think there's uh, some information in there that maybe uh, tell what these guys can uh, develop into for the tribe. And I think there's an exciting future ahead. As I said, a few minutes ago, I think the, the Indian system is deep and there's going to be a lot of talent coming, coming to Cleveland in the next few years. Yeah. I really enjoyed, I think you wrote up uh, Bobby Bradley and uh, Carlos Vargas and Emmanuel Clause. I really enjoyed reading those. I think our readers are really going to enjoy the depth you went into. Uh, on those, I know I especially agreed with some of your evaluations on them, and I thought you uh, brought a lot to the table as far as just what you looked at and, and what you see in their future. And I'm I'm just as excited as you are about those guys, and I hope our readers are excited to read those profiles. Uh, everyone can follow Will on Twitter at w i l l h o o ninety nine. Uh, I got that right, right? That's correct. Okay, I know I wrote that down. I, I did not double check that. I should have. Uh, you can follow me at JL underscore baseball. You can follow the official Twitter account at official underscore RBI. That won't be changing. Um, if you're listening on iTunes, leave us a five-star review. Uh, let us know what you like, what you don't like. Uh, if there's anything you want us to you know, change or do anything, certainly give us some feedback. Uh, we appreciate everybody listening. Our last two podcasts actually have been our highest in quite some time listenership-wise. That was with uh, Michael and the last one with you. Uh, so those are our two highest podcast listens in, in quite some time. So we do really appreciate everybody uh, tuning in. And like I said, if you have any feedback for us, we're definitely, you know, whether it's constructive criticism or, or if you like what you're hearing, we, we definitely would uh, love to hear that as well. Breaking down all the injuries. I know he said he'll have a piece on Emmanuel Classe's. Uh, I'm not going to try to say the injury again because he corrected me on it before and I said it wrong. I sound like an idiot. Uh, he'll have that he'll have that piece uh coming up soon uh and you can follow him on twitter at dr brandon bowers uh we always appreciate his time and insight uh and we wish it was less frequent but we do uh really value his content when this kind of thing comes up so uh for will i'm justin this has been smoke signals thanks for tuning in and we'll catch you again another week or two 